Hi listeners, welcome back to Adopting the Podcast. As always, I'm so excited to be your host for this journey. I'm Nicole Witt, Executive Director of the Adoption Consultancy, where we guide pre-adoptive parents step-by-step through the adoption journey. In Adopting the Podcast, we're going to focus on the issues, questions, and concerns you have as you get started in your adoption journey. So this is for people who are just considering adoption, brand new to adoption or early in the process who are trying to get their questions answered and figure out their best path forward to learn about what to expect and how the process works. Much of the adoption process is rightly so focused on the expectant mom, but in many cases, the birth father is unknown, unidentified, or his whereabouts are unknown. But there are also certainly times where he is quite present and actively involved in the process. Either way, addressing the birth father's rights is a critical step in having a safe and legal adoption. The topic of birth father's rights can quickly get confusing to many people once they start hearing different terms like legal father, biological father, and putative father. Today, we're going to break down the meanings of those terms, what implications they have on the legal adoption proceedings, and what kind of risks they do and don't present to the adoption itself. So to help me review this information, I'm super excited to have with me my my colleague and friend, Amy Hickman of Hausman and Hickman, PA. Amy is a Florida Bar Board Certified Adoption Attorney and a founding partner of Hausman and Hickman. The Florida Bar has recognized Amy as an expert in Florida adoption law, She has assisted in the creation of hundreds of families through adoption and surrogacy and represented parties in complex contested adoptions, juvenile and surrogacy proceedings. Amy is a member of the prestigious Academy of Adoption and Reproductive Attorneys, the International Academy of Family Lawyers, and the Florida Adoption Council. And Amy received the U.S. Congressional Angel and Adoption Award for her work on reforms to Florida's adoption laws. Amy, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with us today. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, Before we start, I just want to lay a bit of context for everyone. Amy, you practice law in Florida. Can you let us know how the information you're going to share today applies or doesn't apply to other states? I can let you know how Florida handles the issue. My recommendation always, and it is something that I do within my own practice, is to contact a qualified adoption professional in the state that you want to research. There's information on the internet, but like with anything else, you really want to speak with a qualified professional so you can understand the ins and outs before you take on a specific case. Excellent advice. Um, And one more thing before we dig into some of the specifics and the different categories of birth fathers, can you kick us off with a brief overview of the role of the birth father in the adoption process? Absolutely. The birth father is a birth parent. His role is a little bit different as defined by the United States Supreme Court and the Florida Supreme Court. His role is to provide for the birth mother during her pregnancy and to support her financially and emotionally. So what the United States Supreme Court said is unless he's married to the birth mother, his opportunity is to provide those supportive services to the birth mother. And once he has, his role in the adoption process legally is very important and must always be addressed before a secure placement really can be made with the prospective adoptive family. And what if he hasn't done those things? 
If he hasn't done those things, what the United States Supreme Court has said is that that's a state law issue. So we have to then go to each state's law and say, which category does he fall in? How is that state going to treat it? What is the information that we have for this particular circumstances so that you can understand not only how are the courts going to treat it, but what is the exact risk at placement? I tell every client, you have got to inform yourself on the legal process so that you are prepared to take on the emotional and financial risk in any adoption placement. Okay. Okay. So let's break down the different categories. A birth father can be either a potential biological father, a legal father, or a putative father, correct? Yes. So a legal father is any man who under that state's law has legally established his interest. And in Florida, and I am going to extrapolate that into probably every other state, that father consent's going to be required for the adoption. So he is entitled to the same due process and notice rights as the birth mother. Okay. So a legal father under Florida law is any man that the birth mother is married to at any time between conception and birth, regardless of his biology to the child. Okay. Any man that has secured a judgment establishing his legal paternity to the child. So under Florida law, that's not just the filing of a paternity action, but also obtaining the judgment. Any man who has adopted the child, any man whose name appears on the child's birth certificate, and then Florida, any man who's timely registered with the putative father registry. So in evaluating under Florida law, whether a father is a legal father, there's also a time limit on those categories. So the father needs to establish his legal standing by the date the petition for termination of parental rights is filed with the court. Okay. Very clear cutoff. Every state does not have that clear cutoff. Some states give fathers six months, a year to go ahead and establish that legal standing. That's why it is absolutely essential that if you're looking at a situation that does have a potential birth father rights in another state that you contact that expert in the in that other state. A putative father is any man who the biological mother believes is the biological father of the child, but who has not established that legal standing. Under Florida law, that man is only entitled to notice and an opportunity to step forward to assert his parental interest by registering with the Florida Putative Father Registry, by providing that financial and emotional support I previously discussed, Mm -hmm. and by filing a response with the court so that there is a clear court record that he is asserting his claim to the child. Great. And the biological father, I think that one's pretty obvious. Yeah, Um, I think they fall in that same category. The only time that There would be a difference between the putative father and the biological father if, in fact, the biological father had done the additional step of securing a paternity test. Then you'd have a clear establishment of the biological connection, but that's not going to change his standing under Florida law 
to require his consent unless he steps forward and places himself in one of those legal father categories. Okay, so let's start with the biological father. So let's assume that he is known, he's identified, his his whereabouts are known, and that he's supportive of the adoption plan. So what steps need to be taken to terminate his parental rights? So you have a couple of options under Florida law, and many states have incorporated similar options. So under Florida law, if you have a birth father or biological father who is working in coordination with the birth mother, the adoptive parents, and the adoption professional, many times he will sign his consent for adoption at the same time the biological mother signs her consent. Okay. Other times he may be a little bit more on the fringe or on the outskirts. He agrees with the adoption, but doesn't have the same level of involvement. Under Florida law, as adoption professionals, we have the option of discussing with him a pre-birth consent document. In Florida law, that's identified as an affidavit of non-paternity. Once he signs it, it's binding and irrevocable. He cannot change his mind. And even though it's labeled an affidavit of non-paternity, a legal father and a biological father can sign that document and they do not need to deny paternity as part of it. The concept is really, they're not gonna take those legal steps to establish their legal paternity. The other option is as adoption professional. And, and I think this is a great planning option available in Florida and that's available to prospective adoptive parents when assessing risk, which is the notice. Under Florida law, it's called a notice of intended adoption plan. And what that is, is that we legally serve process on a birth father that's identified, locatable, and that process is personally served on him and provides him written notice of the adoption plan and the steps that he needs to take within 30 days of receipt of that notice to legally establish his right and the requirement that his consent is required. If a father does not do what he needs to do in those 30 days under Florida law, then his rights are forever relinquished. And there's a court procedure on how the courts will address that. Okay. Now, what if he's not supportive of the adoption plan? Where do his rights stand with that? If he's not supportive of the adoption plan and he's entitled to notice because he's locatable, then my advice to my clients and my proceeding would be to serve him with that notice of intended adoption plan. Okay. Um, and then if he doesn't respond to it, then his rights can be terminated. And if he does respond to it, he would have to show his plan for parenting the child. Is that correct? Yes. Under Florida law, he has to do three things, as I said. Register with the putative father registry, filing a response with a full parenting plan with the court, and provide that emotional and financial support. The law says he must do all of those things or the court can default him, which means the court can then determine that he hasn't properly complied and he is not entitled to further notice of the adoption. Okay. Now, what if he's not known or identified or able to be located? Okay. So if he is not known or locatable, we file the affidavit of the birth mother with the court, explain to the court that we have taken all the information that she's given us up until the date that she signs her consent for adoption, that we have done due diligence with that information to attempt to locate him 
We traditionally hire a private investigator to assist in that search. And if he remains unidentified and unlocatable, then no further action is required. Florida law is positive in this area is that there is a very clear cutoff as to what information the adoption professional is responsible to use mm-hmm. to find that father. And that is the information provided up until the time the birth mother signs a consent for adoption. Now, sometimes a birth mother may not know a name, but may have enough details that will allow the adoption professional to find that person. So I'll give you a prime example. We had a case where she knew his nickname, but he frequented a bar. So I actually sent my private investigator out to get hands down and say, can we find him with that information? Mm -hmm. And in that case, it actually significantly protected my clients. Because we did that extra step, the birth father actually contacted us several weeks after the placement and wanted to assert rights. But we were able to show to the court, we went above and beyond to take the information that we had to truly try to locate and identify him. Okay, great. Okay, so then moving on to the legal father. Now, there are really two subgroups here, right? You have the legal father who's married to the birth mom and is the biological father of the child. Or when I say married to, you know, has those legal rights that you were talking about before. And And a legal father who is not the biological father of the child. So are those two different circumstances when we talk about the steps that need to be taken and what their rights are and so on? Should we address those separately? I think you need to address them together and then separately. Okay. In both scenarios, his consent's required, or he can sign a pre-birth affidavit of non-paternity. The issue that you get into is when you have a legal husband who is not a biological father and you're very certain he cannot be the biological father, either from circumstances or DNA testing, there is an option that I don't always advise, but is sometimes available to ask the court to excuse that father's consent for being unreasonably withheld. I have used that in only one circumstance, and that was a a legal father that was on death row, And there was no way he could be the biological father. Mm -hmm. And there was a very strong and clear argument for what's unreasonably withholding. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so for the legal fathers, again, let's kind of go to our different scenarios. If he's known, identified, able to be found and supportive, what steps happen to terminate his rights? So we meet with him directly. We also work with our social workers to also meet with them to arrange for him to sign a consent for adoption or that affidavit of non-paternity. Okay. And if he's not supportive, he has strong rights, correct? He has very strong rights. And I, in those cases, 100% of the time, advise my clients not to proceed with that adoption plan. Okay. So can you just um, reiterate your point about what the contrast is regarding if he is or is not the biological father and how that is addressed. Under both circumstances, his consent is required. And it's only under a rare circumstance that an adoption professional should advise a client or prospective adoptive parent to proceed with an adoption match unless they can secure that consent. Now, in a circumstance where the legal father is known 
but not locatable, then we would have to publish notice to him. And we would be looking at what are the factual circumstances regarding whether or not there, what the risk factors are in waiting to publish notice. In most circumstances, if you're doing a publication, that publication cannot start until after the child is placed for adoption. So it does increase risk. And so it's very important that the adoption professional really understand the factual circumstances. So from a factual perspective, you can assess risk. Okay. So let's cover the last category. And I think this is the one that often really confuses people just because, you know, they understand the term biological father and they understand, you know, legal, especially if he, you know, he's married to the birth mom, that's kind of easy to get. But putative father, right? That, that really kind of throws a lot of people. I know you kind of gave us the definitions up front. Would you please reiterate the definition of a putative father? Putative father is any man who has not established his legal rights and who the mother believes is the biological father. Okay. So by definition, we know that he exists and is out there, right? What if his whereabouts are unknown? What steps need to be taken to terminate his rights? Under Florida law, if his whereabouts are unknown, then we need to try to locate him. If we locate him, we serve him with that notice of intended adoption plan. If we cannot locate him, then we submit all of our work to the court on the attempts that we made to locate him and ask that the court state that we have complied with Florida law and no further work is necessary to proceed with the adoption plan. Okay. And you've mentioned um, the putative father registry. Can you please speak a little bit more about that in terms of how many states have it, how many people tend to register on it, how often and, and when in the process it's checked, things like that. The concept of a putative father registry is about balancing fairness in an adoption. It is about giving that putative father an avenue in his sole control to register his interest in the child. So in the United States, the District of Columbia and the Virgin Islands, 24 states have putative father registries. And then an additional 11 states, including DC and the Virgin Islands, have some mechanism where a father can file an affidavit of a paternity in order to register his paternity with that state. Okay. In most states that have a putative father registry, the adoption professional can use those credentials as an adoption professional to search that putative father registry to determine whether any man's registered. Percentage-wise or numbers-wise, is, is this something that a lot of the putative fathers know about, make active use of? What is your sense on that? Florida enacted it's punitive father registry in 2003. And one of the provisions was to assure wide dissemination about the existence and information on the putative father registry. So a putative father could know about the registry because information is available to him when he registers to vote, obtains a driver's license. If he files a paternity action, it automatically generates a notice to him that he must also register. 
So in Florida, I believe it's widely disseminated. And since 2003, the numbers of men registering are increasing. To say exactly what the percentage is, is really not available because Mm -hmm. every putative father registry is confidential and can only be searched by a professional with standing in that child's adoption. Gotcha. Okay. And you've talked about searching it. Is it searched multiple points during the process? Florida law only requires that it is searched after the petition for termination of parental rights is filed. However, that requirement does not foreclose the adoption professional's opportunity to do earlier searches. So it is our pattern and practice, and what I believe is best practice, is to search the registry when the adoption professional has the first contact with the birth mother, so they're able to legally assess the circumstances, and closer to when that baby is due, so they can get an update on what is the status, has any man registered, so everyone is prepared for the time that the baby is born and placed. Mm-hmm. Great. Many of the clients I work with adopt from other states than, than the one in which they live. So that's where the expectant mom is and the birth father can be in yet another state than that, whether that's where he lives now and or where if that's where conception occurred. So can you please explain how it works when there are multiple states involved that may have different laws regarding the birth father's rights? Who takes precedence? In those circumstances where we have many states involved, what you're looking at is whether or not that child was conceived outside the state of anticipated birth. First, you look to the state's law of anticipated birth and what does it say about those circumstances. And then you also look at what are the requirements for a birth father in the state where conception occurred and make sure that you understand all of those. And you're talking to knowledgeable adoption professionals and not just looking at the statutes. So in Florida, we have what's called a long-arm jurisdiction provision. And what long-arm means is when can Florida law stretch beyond its state limits to require that a father comply with Florida law? So Florida law does not require that conception is here in Florida, only that The father knows that the birth mother relocated to Florida, and then Florida law applies. So in situations where I have, for example, an unknown father, and we have that different state of conception, we are looking at the other state of conception. Do they have a putative father registry? What are their rights are? And what do I need to do to make sure that he hasn't stepped forward under that state's law? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Now you mentioned earlier when the birth father can sign the consents prior to the birth, that those are irrevocable. What if the birth mother then actually decides not to sign her consents and and expresses interest in parenting? What happens then? Does he have the opportunity to regain his rights, even though he signed that paperwork? That paperwork is effectively null and void. Okay. So it's, it's in furtherance of an adoption plan, and it is not a one-parent termination of parental rights. Okay. Okay, great. And you also referenced a birth father contesting an adoption. Can you speak a little bit about sort of, you know, what happens in those circumstances? 
One of the worst things that can happen in an adoption is to get noticed that a birth father is contesting. So what happens in those circumstances is you really need to evaluate what information was available at the time of placement and what adoption planning steps were taken to address the birth father's parental rights. Mm -hmm. So in my practice, I handle a lot of those types of contested litigation, and we are going back from square one. How do we dot our I's? How do we cross our T's? And in those contests, they, they effectively fall into two categories. One, where a birth father's contesting, but his rights were fully addressed. He just didn't assert his interest. And there's a very clear documentation of that so that we're able to ask the court to evaluate it based on the court record. And you do not need to go into an extended and expensive evidentiary trial and discovery process. The other category is where the adoption professional did not fully address their rights and the birth father may have a claim. And in those circumstances, and in most states, what we're then evaluating is whether or not that birth father abandoned the birth mother during her pregnancy by failing to provide her financial and emotional support. And it is these cases that are the most expensive financially and emotionally. Right, right. So that kind of, I think, leads right into the next question, which may be a bit self-explanatory, but just to kind of come full circle and pull together a couple of the different scenarios um, that, that we've talked about. What would you counsel your clients in turn for the, for the hopeful adoptive parents? You know, what are sort of those most safe from a legal perspective adoptions and what types of scenarios with birth fathers would you tell them, you know, really just avoid this case? This doesn't make sense to get involved with. Absolutely. I tell every client, that the right adoption is one where you are buckling that child into a car seat upon discharge from the hospital, and you know the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And what that means is you've got the consent for adoption. Every birth parent, whether it's a legal birth parent or a putative father, that is the safest that you can go. Now, when you have those more complicated issues, um, you want to make sure that the adoption professional has fully and completely complied with that state's law. And to the extent that they can obtain any pre-birth judgments or consents, that has been done. So there's no window of opportunity. So in Florida, when we have that unknown, unidentified birth father, the last time for a birth mother to give us information is on those consents. So. The adoptive parents really want to make sure that their adoption professional has not only kept them fully advised heading into that birth, but after the consents are signed, prior to signing that placement agreement, they fully understand, is there any additional information and has the status changed? Gotcha. Okay. The cases that I would tell clients to avoid are those cases when you hear from the adoption professional, don't worry, we'll just terminate his rights for a baby. Like run in the other direction, unless you have a spare $100,000. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
Good advice. So the information you shared has been um, very comprehensive. Is there anything else related to this topic that we haven't discussed that the pre-adoptive parents really should be aware of or on the lookout for? I think in summary, the main thing is, is a prepared prospective adoptive parent is one who's done their homework and is really relying on experts. I know sometimes in today's day and age and everything that's going on, people aren't putting value in experts, but experts are where you need to go. So make sure that the adoption professional who's giving you the prospective adoptive match is giving you in writing all circumstances regarding the father and that you are speaking with a knowledgeable attorney in that state to fully and completely comprehend how those rights are going to be addressed. Make sure that you have a very clear outline of what they told you and continue to follow up on where are we in that process so that you can do your checklist because with knowledge comes security and power over your family. And that's what this is all about. Yeah, that's uh, excellent advice, I think, and a, a wonderful way to to kind of wrap this up and, and put that bow on it. So thanks again, Amy, for sharing your, your time and your expertise with us today. I really appreciate it. Again, listeners, my guest today has been Amy Hickman, partner at Hausman & Hickman PA, and you can reach her through her website, which is adoption and spelled out A-N-D, adoptionandsurrogacy.com or via email at info at adoptionandsurrogacy.com. But of course, listeners, most of all, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I hope you've learned something today that will help you to approach your adoption journey with more comfort and confidence. Take care and I'll catch you next time.